So for those who haven't been part of the whole series, what's helpful is, and it's getting long, my introduction is getting longer and longer, so I'm going to try and do it in four minutes. So here we go. We started off by showing you how important emotions are, how Jesus showed the full spectrum of human emotion and showed us how to be truly human. Went to Matthew 26, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. We looked at Jesus who goes into a temple full of righteous anger and smacks around people because they're using his father's house as an economic place rather than one of prayer. And then we went through this thing of knowing yourself better so that you could know God. And we looked at the things of looking beneath the surface of who we are because what the psychologists call our shadow self. And I called it, we walk out, what happens is in our lives we come up against things and we believe lies about who we are and who God is. And then what happens is, is we live out of that place. And like I said, it's our false self versus our true self. Or as Leisha put it, which is a lot softer, I like the, the real smack because I'm, I'm the guy who wants to make sure that the truth hits. But possibly you prefer... Are you in your anchored self in who God's made you to be, or do you float away from that like a balloon and just kind of go with whatever goes and believe whatever you want to believe? And what we did was we said that ultimately what happens is, is God will take us to a place called the wall. So if we don't choose to go beneath the surface and look and deal with that, which is a really difficult journey to go because you look there and you go, oh my word, look at all those skeletons. Look at all that junk that's underneath. Look at those things in my heart. And what happens if we don't do that, God will lead us to a place which he calls the war. And through a place of pain, will basically force us to deal with these things. And it's one of the hardest places to be. And how we navigate those seasons will depend on whether we move into a place of inheritance which God has for us, or whether we kind of walk around the wilderness and the desert. So I've kind of changed my little EQ process to some extent. And as you can see, we are born as an anchored or floating self. We either choose to deal with the stuff or we hit the wall. Or, and, and we just land up in the desert like the Israelites did and never walk into our inheritance. And then what we had was we had Lisha and Louise help us in the context of using Enneagram to look at ourselves to understand, oh, gee, was that's why I react like that. I have a personality type that is X, Y, or Z, and that's why I do that. And when I'm under stress, I do that. But when I am anchored, actually God calls me into this place where I impact the world and the atmosphere around me. And then we, Louise spoke about freedom sessions, about engaging God, about dealing with the stuff inside of us, dealing with the lies and all those things that are causing us to do certain things and to move forward in our relationship with God. We had Paul and Ange deal with and give us tools around genogram. Genogram is going back, looking at your family of origin, the culture in which you've been in, and realizing that that has determined some of the way in which you act things out. You wonder why you've got these things that you just can't get rid of. And you say, I'll never be like my mom and dad. I'll never do that. And you land up doing exactly the same thing. Why? Because there's a spiritual thing that follows you. And part of that process is to break it so you can move into the inheritance that God has for you. Then we, Steve looked at limits. And limits, we have God, in the Garden of Eden, we have Adam and Eve. God places a limit. Do not touch that tree. You can have all of this, the big yes, the little no, a limit. All of us have limits. But you know what we try to do? We try and be each other. We try and be other people that we're not. And by that, we live out a false self and we wonder why we're struggling in our lives today. And we have these limits. And if we understand that they're actually a gift from God to us and an invitation into what Dale and Laura spoke of last week, an invitation into the wilderness to spend time with Jesus. Jesus was invited into the wilderness. And in that place, when he overcame, when he was fortified, when he was strengthened by the Holy Spirit, he walked out in power. And that's what God is wanting to do 
in and through us through this process. And then Louise and I also spoke on this thing called singleness and marriage, living out of your marriage. Those of you who are married, please get that podcast because I believe it's, a, it's, it's another pinnacle part of what we're doing. But also, if you're single, it's okay because what God does is he puts inside of us to lead out of that place in loving union with him. And that's the point that we're making this morning is that we can lead out of our marriages, lead out of our singleness, but if we don't stop to have loving union with God, we're going to miss all of what he has for us and we're never going to move into our inheritance we're going to always be in the desert, wandering around, blaming God, blaming others, and not moving into the details of what God has for us. During the week, we met up with Dave and Kasha. They were with us for the last few weeks. They lead a church hall. They've actually just handed over the church in Cambodia, and they were with us. You know, he was the one that looked like um, Gandalf, and uh, I, I was teasing him. Is that, and, and, and Kasha shared this, this, this text with us as we were talking about our series Hosea 2 verse 14, it says, when God is speaking to Israel, he says, I am going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. I believe there are people here this morning, God's wanting to allure you into the wilderness so that he can speak tenderly to you. And hopefully this morning is part of that journey. So my question, starting this morning, that's probably a little bit more than four minutes, eh, is what is your definition of success? When you land up looking down on your funeral, what would be the definition of a successful life? I pause for effect. Is it numbers? Numbers means growth. When I think of the church, yeah, I want to see the church grow. I've got to watch my personality that I'm not wanting to grow for Gary's sake, but that God's wanting to add people here so that we can impact this community for the kingdom. So numbers are important to some extent, but then Jesus, when he was crucified, he only had 11 followers. And in fact, that's debatable because John was the only one at the cross. So is numbers, or are they a definition of success? Probably not. What about position and power? Well, I've got authority. God's anointed me. Possibly. What about the amount of resources or wealth that you have? Maybe that's your definition of success. I mean, we have a building. It's amazing. We're a small church. This is beyond our ability, and yet God has provided this for us. Does that mean that we are successful? My point that I'm trying to make is that in our culture today, what we do is we look at the externals to look to see if people are successful. So maybe in your family, your family looks really successful because your kids are succeeding at school and varsity, whatever it might be. Maybe in your business, you are producing wealth and all that. And God reminded me of this morning, reminded me this morning of the fact that in the Old Testament, the time of Solomon looked like the most successful time in the whole of Israel's existence. And yet, inside, they were decaying from the inside out. They were worshipping idols. And as much as they had wealth and success and they looked amazing and they had the wisest man. Remember, we preached on that. The wisest fool that ever lived was actually Solomon. And the point is, is that we can look successful on the outside, but actually inside, we're not successful at all. So I remember when I was preparing, I remember this joke. And maybe you've heard it. When, I must have heard it when I was about five or six years old. Is um, So... 
this guy dies and he goes up to the pearly gates and uh, St. Peter's waiting for him at the pearly gates and he says, you know, so, so Mr. Mr. Joe, call him Joe, is uh, we want to look at and reward you for, for what you've done on earth. And, and that reward is the transportation in which we give you. So obviously if you really do well, and along came this guy's grandmother in a Lamborghini, kind of stopped by and said, hey Joe, welcome to heaven, it's an amazing place and we've been waiting for you. And it's great, and so, you know, you're going to go and get your transportation based on your rewards and whatever else. And the next thing, Joe looked across, and there was his pastor on a scooter. And then the Pope came back, came, came alongside in roller skates. That was a joke. <laughs> the point is, is we can look on the outside, and we can look at the religious regalia of things. And I mean, no disrespect to the Pope, it's just a joke. But the point is, is we can look at that and say, that's successful. We can look at a big multi, uh, multi-thousand church, mega church, and go, they're successful, but actually maybe they're building a mile wide and an inch deep. We can look at those things and say, well, that's success, but it's not. God is saying to us, what is in our hearts? How are we working out our lives? Because we can live our lives, and we can have what we seem a successful business, family, and ministry, but we haven't relied on Jesus one iota. We haven't engaged him in the process. We can boldly speak these truths and and speak to people about stuff that actually we don't really live out ourselves. And the problem is, is if those efforts, the efforts of building a church, the efforts of building a family, the efforts of building a business look successful, then few people will notice that there is a bit of a gap between what I'm saying and what I'm living out. So turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 7. This is a crazy scripture, and I mean by crazy, it's one that I've always struggled with. It says, everyone who says to me, this is Jesus, Lord, Lord, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name, did we not cast out demons and perform many, many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Now now notice that, because here are people who are going, but but Jesus, we prophesied in your name. You know what, we even prayed for people and demons leapt out. We even did amazing miracles in your name, and Jesus says, I never knew you. But I don't understand that, Jesus, because you said you knit me together in my mother's womb, that you know every hair on my head, that you will never leave me or forsake me. Jesus, you said that you know all, everything about me. You even know me better than myself. How can you say you never knew me? Surely he should have said, but you never knew me. But remember, I've spoken of this word. The Greek word is ginosko, which is an intimacy that is spoken of a husband and wife being intimate with one another, of understanding and a deep understanding of each other. So Jesus is saying, you never were intimate with me. You knew of me, but you didn't know me. And I didn't know you because you never allowed me into your heart. I've been knocking on your heart, and you never responded to that. And John 15, 5 says, I am the true vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Not something, nothing. Nothing that matters, nothing that withstands eternity, nothing of that process. And the thing what we're trying to say here is that intimacy requires us to slow down and have loving union with Him. And we are so busy running around 
doing all kinds of stuff, being busy for Jesus. I'll speak to you later, God, and we keep carrying on, and we miss out from actually getting to know Jesus. And here's the problem. Cultivating loving union with Jesus takes time, which paradoxically is the one thing that we often feel we don't have because we're too busy serving him. We're too busy building our businesses. We're too busy running around after our kids' sporting events. And what happens? Our intentionality of our relationship with Jesus passes us by, and we land up in this place where we subtly drift away from who God is, and we prioritize life over love. Let me say that again. We drift away from Jesus, and we prioritize our lives over love and intimacy with him. And unfortunately, that has major consequences in our lives. Over to Sherry. Now, I'm going to learn from Laura's difficulty last week with this gadget, and I'll just give it to my tech-savvy husband. And every time I want the screen changed, I'll just say, next, please. <laughs> so, so Gary and I thought what we would do is we would try and explain to you and share with you what this slowing down and loving union looks like and what it doesn't look like and what it is and what it isn't. So if you're a little bit like me, I'm very good at making strategies and plans and having my quiet time and memorizing 50 scriptures and, you know, because I'm a doer, I'm, I'm, I'm number eight on the Enneagram. So I can do all those things very well, um, but that's not what the issue is all about. Um, and you can change the slide. So this is what loving union isn't. Oh, there's a big clock here. It says I've got 14 minutes and 17 seconds left. That's pretty scary stuff. So it's not mutually exclusive. We don't dump these things, but this isn't exactly what it's all about. So what loving union is not, it's not necessarily about having our devotions and our quiet time. And it's not necessarily about all these spiritual practices that Gary has so carefully inputted into my life and yours for the last five years. And it's not about these great intense uh, emotional experiences that we have at church or at home. Good, but in and of itself, not necessarily what it's all about. It's not about fitting in your schedule. You know, in the first 20 years of my life, if I didn't have my quiet time in the morning, I'd be grumpy the rest of the day. Because I was putting the key of my life onto an activity. But I may not necessarily have actually engaged with God. I might have read my, I mean, I've got the whole of Proverbs memorized from when I was a kid, you know. So one proverb in five psalms a day, you know. And then I'd get do that for three months and get bored. And then I would take a theme and look at something else. And that's good. All of this is good in and of itself. But it's actually about something else entirely. So the question that we really need to ask, the key, key question, I think it's the next slide, Ian. Try for me. Yes. Uh, in what way does my current pace of life enhance or diminish my ability to allow God's will in my life? Because we're doing things. We do stuffs, as Gary said, and we do stuffs in terms of our quiet times. Um, and all these incessant demands of our lives, all these things that we're doing, like Gary says, is that actually getting us far away from God? Now, something very curious happened to me two or three years ago. I, I, I mean, I look young, but I'm actually a bit older. So I needed to stop working, and it wasn't because I needed to retire. I needed to stop working because I had a bit of a prob with my health and some neurological stuffs and whatever. So I stopped working, and it took me a year to get the files out my head. 
But after the first year, Ian would go off to work, and I'd sit in my prayer chair in my, in my bedroom, and I would just sit there, and I would now do my quiet time thing. And often, I would just sit in silence and solitude, because that's one of the things we're going to get to. How do we, how do we get this life? How do we get this slowing down thing? Because we need to do this stuff, clearly, the previous slide. We need to still have our quiet times. We need to do the Word. We need to have a spiritual transformation in our lives. And I would sit in my prayer chair, and I would just be silent some days. And then suddenly, I'd start to cry. And it's going on, it doesn't stop, you know, most days. And I would just sit there with the Lord, and I'd be silent, and I'd start to cry. And eventually I'm lying on the floor, and the cat's next to me. If you've ever landed on the floor and cried, the cat comes along with your dog and sniffs you. Like, what the hell is going on here? And I would lie on the floor, and I would just cry. And I would let it go, because I knew there's some life change here, and I actually needed to talk to a life coach, because I struggled with stopping working. I wanted to, didn't want to, had to, didn't have to can drive you nuts. So now I'm much more compassionate for people that have emptiness syndrome, those who retire, those who need to give up their homes and move into retirement villages, etc. I'm much more compassionate because I've gone through some of it myself. But the point was, as soon as I got quiet, then Holy Spirit started to speak to me. And I would cry it out, and then I'd say, what is this? What is this, Lord? And he would say, we're dealing with some of this stuff on the underneath. So slowing down for loving communion has got a lot to do with some of the things we've taught like the Enneagram. It's just a, pro, a personality profile tool. But the minute I realized what that thing was and who I am, I really laughed because I've been married to Ian in January for 25 years and I thought he was another number entirely. And I've discovered who he really is. I'm going, oh, I can see it in his life, what he was. But the minute I slowed down, the stuff under the iceberg came out. And then I was able to start dealing with those things. And then sometimes the Holy Spirit would tell me that day what it is, like silly things. I've had to curtail my Facebook um, activity. I'm sure some of you have had to too. Because I would see elephants being beaten in Thailand and dogs and cats and humans and the stuff would hurt my soul and I would because I'm so busy and I'm running and I'm still doing my proverb and three psalms every day in my you know my whatever I do in my spiritual formation. But the stuff was wounding my soul. So I couldn't deal with what was really going on in the underneath of me. I'm just going with life eh? and I'm doing stuff and I'm leading things at church and we lead a life group and but underneath it it's festering. And I can't deal with I have no relationship with him. I mean, I know him. And some years, let's face it, we go through years, eh? cycles, where we really know the Lord well, and then because something's gone wrong, of course, and now we have to seek him and get close to him, then everything's fine again, and we're making money, and our marriage is good, and, you know. And sometimes he wouldn't show me. And sometimes as the week would go by, I'd hear the Holy Spirit, shares, this is what I'm talking about. This is what's wounding your life. This is where you don't really know me. You're just living a practice. And then I'd say, oh, Holy Spirit, let me deal with it. Just a, a quick example. This week, not, not somebody in this community, somebody said they were coming to dinner and on the day phoned and said they didn't want to and clearly something else suited them better. And had I taken the dinner out, yes, I've defrosted the lamb roast. And yes, now nah, who's going to eat it? Me and Ian, this big fat lamb roast. And the whole day I was grumpy till the evening. And then Holy Spirit said to me, are you going to let this go? And I'm reading these notes, eh? This is what it's really about, Shares. Can you let this stuff go? How about the language of heaven, the love language? That's all the, the only language they speak up there, love. The only currency up there that you can buy things with, love. I mean, oh, Holy Spirit, no. is this what you mean? Is this what loving communion is all about? And that's what it's about. It's about getting on the underneath of that iceberg that, that Gary's always talking about. Uh, let me just check where I am, hey? Very good to just stop uh, once in a while. So we've looked at what it doesn't look like. We've looked at how much this stuff's impacting my life. And the question is, what does it look like? 
And it's about stillness and solitude, but it's about letting God have access to our lives, to our full lives. And we don't want to do that. I was listening to some podcasts in preparation for this uh, by this guy, Pete Scazzera, and he says a lot of us are really yucky human beings. You know, we, we get born again, and we even get filled with the Spirit, and we even speak in tongues, and we do all this stuff, but we're just miserable to be around. We're just miserable sods. And as I'm reading and listening to this podcast, I'm going, no, Holy Spirit, could you just get off my shoulder, please? Can I not just rather share this information and not have to live it? Because we don't deal with the stuff on the underneath, and that's what slowing down for loving communion is all about. It's about, is he dealing with my heart? And you know, it's interesting. Some things we think are a blessing and others aren't. Like, so, big deal, I had to stop working early. It's the best thing that ever happened to me. Because I've had to slow down. I've had to reevaluate my life. And it's interesting, Jane Bentley said to me the other day, she said, geez, I've been watching you for two and a half years, and uh, all you're doing is pastoring people and loving people and doing stuff. And I said to you, that, that wasn't my idea. That was Holy Spirit's idea. I've got this whole schedule planned out of what I wanted to do with my life. And I'm finding I'm just doing God stuff. And then Kasha and Dave last week, or, or the week before, Dave gets up and he says, did you remember, with his big Gandalf beard, he said, do the will of the Father. And as he said it, I just felt the presence of God come on me and do the will of the Father. And just this week, the Lord has released me to go and do some of the stuffs I wanted to do, but I'm still going to do these other stuffs. So what is slowing down for loving communion all about? It's about letting God get to the underneath of our hearts. And for me, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. That's what it's actually all about. You know about that. It's not about the things I do and say. And we must still do them. I still have my quiet time, not necessarily every day. And, you know, because it's my heart that counts. And the other question is, how do we remember God throughout the day? And it comes from living from a centeredness. And that's why Gary's been trying to get us to be still during our lives. And solitude and silence. And maybe it won't be the same for you. And I don't know how many years Holy Spirit is going to have me on this cry on the carpet story. In fact, I said to Louise this morning, I hope I don't cry during the worship like I normally do. Nobody can see me. Because then I'll have no makeup on when I have to take the microphone. Because my heart is getting so soft before the Lord. Because I'm knowing Him. You know, when I first stopped working, I would often go into His presence in the mornings, close my eyes, silence. And I would just picture myself as a little girly like Michelle's little girlies, I've been to her house, and they wear pink tutus. And even Scarlett does it. These little, they come to church in their pink tutus. And I go and sit on the father's lap in my pink tutu, and I go, Father, I'm scared. I don't know what's going on. I've got this condition that's trashing my life. And I, you know, yes, I stand in prayer. I don't necessarily stand up in the, in the prayer line every time. I believe, Jehovah Rapha, the healer, I believe that. I believe it as a tenant in my life, a T-N-E-T, -E hey? not Where's Dale? Not the other tenant, eh? Dale said to me, don't use any big words this morning or I'll have to slow down and get my dictionary out. And I've lost my train of thought. The pink tutu. So I come to the Father's presence and I just sit and, and I feel him put his arms around me and I chat to him and I say, oh, I'm so scared. I don't know how I'm going to get through today. And then I spend time with him and he shares stuff with me and I worship him and then I get up, Xena warrior princess, out with a sword and off I go into my day. But how do we keep that... that as we go along during the day. And I mean, we can give you some more strategies and how do I do this and how do I do that? And that's not necessarily what it's all about. I think we need to build from a centeredness in our lives. There are some little things. Um, it started clocking down again. Are we in another century? So for example, I bought a little key ring recently. I hate key rings, but I saw this one and the Holy Spirit said, buy that one. And on it etched, it says, God's faithfulness never fails. 
And it's a little memorial stone. Some days I don't leave the house. My ultimate week is three days where I don't leave the house. And I usually manage two. So then I don't touch the key ring, don't get in the car. But other days, days I drive here and I drive there. And the highlight of my week is going to the scheme to get the supplements we need when I used to run big corporations, you know. And then I get in, in the car and I touch it. And I say, Jesus, your love never fails. And then I drive somewhere else to fruit and veg to get some avos. Jesus, your love never fails. And somehow we've got to build something into our lives. I've got another one. You see these two plasters? We pruned the roses yesterday. So this is a memorial. Every time I touch a thing, it's get thicker gloves. Get falconry gloves next time because the rose thorns, first time I've ever pruned roses, were quite hard, big. It's about being, not doing. I can do lots of things. I'm quite capable in the flesh. And many of us are very capable in many areas of our lives. But I've had to lay that down. And I've had to say, what is it that I have to be inside of my life? And all I have to be is about identity. Dale shared last week about relentlessly pursuing God. Dale, I went home. And the whole week, I said to God, show me what this looks like. How do I relentlessly pursue you without doing all the activities and jumping up and down? And it's about the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. It's about being, not doing. It's about stopping Getting silent. And I think uh, um, Richard's going to share on daily office. Oh, here it is, yeah. Daily office going forward and how we can slow ourselves down. And Ian and I have cultivated something in the uh, past few years. Every time I get in my car, I instantly I pray. I don't play loud music and stuff. When I get into my car, it's like the prayer place. It's like the prayer chair in my... And I start praying in tongues. I start interceding. I start worshipping. And that's how I remember the Lord because of the being heart. So slowing down for loving communion with God is about giving God full access to our lives. And some of the tools we've shared, the iceberg principle, getting on the underneath, finding out your personality profile, dealing with the hard conversations, asking the, the questions in my life about why am I like this and why am I like that? If we can deal with those things, we'll get there. Let's try another slide. Maybe I've missed something. Push the button or something. Uh, okay. What we're going to do is we're going to get to just one more question before we get to that. You know how we often say, oh, did it go back? We always say, put God first. That's a prerequisite. It's about put God center. Big difference. God first, absolutely. All these practices, have our quiet time, read the word, go to church, absolutely. But it's about having a centeredness in our lives. And if we can live out of that centeredness, then it's the anchored life. As Lisha was teaching with the Enneagram, it's about having an anchored soul. It's about identity, relentlessly pursuing God, what Dale preached last week, about who I am in Christ. I never question who I am. That's not the issue. Even when I struggle with some of these issues in my life at the moment, I've never questioned I'm a daughter of the Most High God. And when Paul Tottiel was here, he made one of those throwaway comments that I grabbed on. He said, we're supernatural royalty. Ever since he's left Paul Tottiel, every morning I get up, I do the pink tutu and cry on the floor and then go into the presence and get my sword and go out to Zena. But I go, I'm supernatural royalty today. I can go out and live from kingdom lifestyle, not live here from the flesh. I'm already seated in heavenly places with Christ. So the invitation for us is, and hey, I'm just a few steps ahead of you. I mean, I, I'm struggling with these things the same as you are. I've had to learn to walk them out in my life. And I've had some wicked challenges that have come along that have sidelined me and make me wonder where the heck I am. I'm getting buffeted by the wind and the waves. But I've put God center, not so much God first. God was first already. I was already doing the first stuff. It's about what's going on inside of my heart. Am I slowing down enough to hear his voice? 
You know that movie Speed with uh, Keanu Reeves? The, you know, the, the bus is barreling along, and if he slows, takes his foot off the accelerator, the whole bomb's going to blow up and stuff. That's what our lives are like. We're too scared to slow down in case the whole thing blows up. So God forbid I should have to get in my bedroom because I know I'm going to cry. Or what is God going to want from me? We're too scared to slow down. But friends, we have to. We have to. My husband, he comes home from work some days. You know those movies where you're in a room and the water's filling up and your head's like at the top and there's this much air? He comes from, home from his corporate environment like many of you guys in whatever environment. And he's like this. There's only so much air. And I think how the heck is he going to even manage silence and solitude? But we've started practicing, and we were thinking the other day, five years already, we called it carpet time. At least one night a week. No TV, no nothing. Put the heater on in the room and just play worship music. There's nothing like for a woman to see your husband lie on the floor on the carpet and beat the ground and say, Jesus, if you don't turn up, man, that'll break a woman's heart. You know? And then you see this year after year, and you see the man seek God. That's what it's about. And suddenly the centeredness started coming out of our lives and we started to find our way. And I'm still shocking at it. You know how it goes? Sometimes you can go on holiday and you're definitely going to seek God. All we did was sleep late and eat chocolate for you know, <laughs> two weeks. And we're going now again. And last holiday, I got him to leave his tablet alone. There was no technology allowed. It was fantastic. It was a completely new experience. So maybe this holiday we can actually do some silence and solitude. Give God full access. That's what it's about. Let him into our hearts. Let him deal with those hard issues. I don't like facing my personality. Ian and I did some life coaching a few years ago, and the life coach helped me through stopping working as well. And I had to say to her sometimes, I can't see you next week or the week after. Because we're dealing with values and principles, and she would, we would do stuff, and then I'd look in the mirror and go, this is what I say, I believe, and this is how I behave. Oops, I think I might have turned into a pumpkin. It went bing. Okay, wrapping up. <laughs> so I couldn't face myself. That's the issue. But face ourselves. Let's go to the Father and say, who am I? Oh, we know who we are in Jesus. But who am I? What's causing me to tick? Slow down enough, hear his voice, and then be able to live out and, and let him change things. So when I know I'm being a yucky person, like I wanted to kill the person who didn't come to dinner, Holy Spirit says, give them a free pass. Just change your attitude. Is it going to matter tomorrow? So we've got a questionnaire. Next slide husband or genius pastor. And we're going to give you this assessment, not necessarily right now, but and we'll give it to you afterwards. Take it home and do this assessment. And I think there's a, you know, there's a the little model like in a magazine, you know, if you read this and read that, then you're bad and you're about to get divorced or you're not. If you listen to magazine psychology, you're in big trouble. But if you do this questionnaire, it'll help you understand what is it that I'm doing? Am I functioning correctly? Well, let's rephrase that because there's no correctly or not correctly. But for my life, this will help me identify why I'm not slowing down. Am I slowing down? Do I want to slow down? Do I understand what it means? So if you take it home and do it, it will help you understand some of the principles that we've been talking about. So just remember that loving union is not about having a better strategy, doing things a better way. It's about the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. It's about... God's center, not God first. His ways are not our ways. There's a different model to it. And try some silence and solitude. I've done a hell of a lot of that in the last two years because the husband goes off to work, the domestic worker doesn't come that day and just me and the cat sit and look at each other, you know. Two cats now because the cat got lonely. So for those of you who want it, I think... Afterwards, 
it's here or should we just dish it out? Okay. But you know, things like number 10, that's the key ring one. I'm am I routinely aware of God during my waking hours at work, at home? Even when I worked, sometimes it gets so frustrating is to just go to the bathroom, close the door, sit on the top of the loo with the seat down, and just take a breath. I'm going to kill that manager, you know? Or just don't understand what's going on with the staff member. Are we able to seek God all the time in our busy lives? Because we just go helter-skelter, hey? And we've got to be able to slow down because we're different. We're supernatural worlds with somebody else. To be quite honest, I don't know where to go from here, so I'm just going to drump it back in his lap. And Because uh, if it goes bing one more time, I'm going to get complex. So yeah, so Sherry was supposed to do this slide, but I'll do it for her. Is if you're not experiencing loving union, then, then these are the things that are going to come up. And obviously for the sake of the podcast is um, you can't shake the pressure of having too much to do in too little time. Are you always rushing around? You routinely fire off quick opinions and judgments. You're often fearful about the future. You're overly concerned with what others think. You're defensive and easily offended, like Sherry's moment with the people not coming to dinner. You're routinely preoccupied and distracted. You consistently ignore the stress, anxiety, and tightness of your body. You feel unenthusiastic and threatened by the success of others. And lastly, you routinely spend more time talking than listening. I say nothing because I've got too many ticks on those levels. But the point is, is if you can tick more than what you don't tick on that list, you are likely you are not slowing down to have loving union with God. So why don't you turn with me, please, to Acts chapter 19. And this is a story of what happens when we don't do that. And uh, these are, this is uh, a guys they're called the sons of Sceva. They're sons of a, a chief priest or high priest, a Jewish priest. And it says, some Jews went around driving out evil spirits and tried to invoke the name of Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. You know, it's that typical Pentecostal. Come out! That was just to wake you up. And the, the demons would scream and run away. And so the sons of Sceva, like I've said, the Jewish high priests, uh, they were doing this. And one day an evil spirit answered them. And like I've given my own testimony of when that kind of happened to me. All right, uh, Jesus we know, and Paul we know, but who the hell are you? It's okay, the hell's not in the scripture. But Then uh, the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them, and he gave them such a beating that they ran out naked and bleeding. See, that, that's what kind of happens when what you do is you, you sort of see what's going to happen in terms of, here's Paul, powerful ministry. The church in Ephesus is exploding in growth and success. And you see that, and you want that. You want that power. You want what, whatever's going on. But what you do is you, circum, or you short-circuit the whole process, and you don't go have loving union with God, which was actually the source of which Paul operated from. His power and the miracles that were coming from him and the, the way the demons were running was because he was with the Father, and out of that relationship... And out of that loving union, he was able to do. And it's exactly what, what Sherry said. So they just skipped all of that and went headlong into doing, and guess what they did? Well, they barely escaped with their lives. Now, now I don't know about you, but I probably haven't really been beaten up and walked, run out of a house naked and, and bleeding in, in a context. But I've, many times what I've done is I've taken God's word and haven't fully processed it, and then I've gone into a situation and I've... Try to speak it out, but actually lacked nothing and it falls to the floor. 
I, I pray for something and nothing happens. And I think, God, where are you? Why aren't you healing this person? But actually, I haven't been with loving union with God and allowed his power to rise up within me. Jesus went into the desert for 40 days. The Holy Spirit led him there. And only there was he fortified and strengthened to be able to withstand the enemy's onslaught. And we think, if Jesus did it, don't you think we would need to? Jesus prepared 30 years for three years' ministry. I remember somebody once, part of this community, once said to me, you know, oh, I, I, need, I want to do this and do this. And I said, I don't think you're ready for this particular thing. I think you need to wait. And after six weeks, they made the decision and did it anyway. Guess what? They're no longer part of the community. I challenged. I said, well, why, why didn't you wait any longer? Well, I thought that was long enough. No, Jesus waited 30 years. <laughs> why? Loving union with God. Waking up every morning. It says Mark 1.35. Got up in the morning. Matthew 26, Lord Jesus, I mean, Father, I want to do this, but not my will, but your will be done. What is God calling us into? What is the Lord's prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come, which means let my kingdom go over there. Let your will be done, not my will. Because you know what the definition of success is? Doing God's will, His way, in His timing. And I see all the nodding of the heads, but how many of us open up our business things on Monday morning, or even our admin meeting that we have on our Tuesday morning, and we pray and we say, God, won't you come and lead us? And then we get into the meeting and we don't even engage Him. So what happens, so follow me through to Numbers chapter 7. In Numbers chapter 7, here's Moses. Now, you must remember, the context of this is Moses and Aaron have been leading the Israelites for almost 40 years at this point. And guess what happens? The Lord says to Moses, take your staff. Okay, staff is representative of authority. God gives us authority, gives us anointing to do stuff. And take your brother Aaron, and go and assemble the people. And he says, speak to that rock before their eyes, and it'll pour out water. And it'll bring water to the community and to their livestock and everything else. And Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence. Notice that. Just as he commanded him, and they gathered the assembly, and he says, Listen, you rebels! You idiots! I am so tired of your beep, 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 which would normally happen in whatever movie we're watching, or if you've got something like DSTV. He starts to shout at them, and guess what? He strikes the rock twice, and it pours out water. And God says to him this, but the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough and to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land that I've given them. Now remember my, one of my first pictures there of us moving into our inheritance. I don't know about you, but I've struck the rock too many times. I get frustrated because I'm not, Louise will not listen to me. She doesn't understand me. The kids aren't listening to me. This community that I'm leading, would you guys please just get it? I don't have to say those words, but there's a sound that can come from me that I'm smacking the rock. How many of us are smacking rocks and not moving into the inheritance that God has for us? Because we're frustrated. Because I want this thing. And you know what? God is saying to me, Gary, I've given you a gift of limits. 
which for a number three is like, really? I can do anything. Even my, my WhatsApp little blurb says, I would rather crash and burn than fade away. Why? Because I want to do. All of what Sherry's saying, I want to do those things. I want to get that. I don't, I don't want to just fade away and just kind of get old and just kind of move into eternity. I want to crash and burn. I want to make sure that whatever, I'm going to leave a legacy here on earth. And God has spoken stuff. To, but what happens is that, is that when I don't honor my limits, what do I do? I actually can't have loving union with God. And I become like Adam and Eve, and I question God's goodness towards me, and I start to go, what did God really say? Am I really the son of God? And I start to drift away from God. And the, God, the picture God gave me was we become driftwood. And if you know what driftwood and, and what happens is, have you ever like, bought a piece of wood to do something with it, do it, put a door up or whatever the case is, but you leave it outside for a little bit too long? And then you come and try and fit that door. What's happened? It's warped. And it don't work no more. It doesn't work what it's made for. And we think we can do the same thing. But what happens is we go outside and we kind of just let life happen to us and we get beaten by the storms of life and whatever else. And then God's wanting to call us into a moment that he's wanted to prepare us for and we're warped and we can't do it. And we go, oh, this doesn't work. When actually we're the ones that have drifted away from God. We're the ones that have become warped. We're the ones that don't fit the plan that God had for us because we didn't stop and say, Lord Jesus, what do you think? Daily, Lord Jesus, what do you think? I'm trying to balance this cash flow. Why is it not balancing? But we, we think, well, that's trivial. No, no, because in a moment, Holy Spirit can go, Gary, did you check the fixed assets? Because actually, you got your proceeds wrong on your disposal. That's where the problem is. Now, I know for non-accountants, you're going, Gary, what are you talking about? <laughs> but what about all of our lives? Your child misbehaving. No, bathroom. <laughs> No, Lord Jesus, why? Why, are, why is this happening? Oh, they experienced trauma last week where one of their best friends betrayed them. How do I come alongside my child now? But you see, we just go. Do that. That, that event, this event, this event. We don't stop for a moment and go, Lord Jesus. Two minutes, breathe. We've got it on our watches. If you've got an Apple Watch, just push a button. Breathe for two minutes. What do you think, Lord? Got a new job offer. What do you think, Lord? Got some business opportunities. A, B, what do you think, Lord? This one looks really great. Gary, that's not the good one. It looks great right now, but actually this is the one. <gasps> okay, Lord, take it. And then three years' time, we look around and go, oh, wow, look at... Look at what I did. Because what does Deuteronomy chapter 8 say? No, Jesus, God leads them out of Egypt, takes them through this process, which was difficult, leads them into their promised land. He says, when you arrive there, you know what your biggest pro our biggest problem as Christians is when we are successful. Paul Tottenham, I spoke to him this week, and he said, Gary, you know what? In Adelaide, Australia, we've got everything that opens and shuts. We are a, a, a first world country. We have our medicals paid for. We have all of that kind of stuff paid for. People do not need God. In our comfort and convenience, what we do is we go, we don't need God. And that's exactly what God said. When you arrive there and you have your amazing houses and you've got all of the success, 
Are you going to turn around and forget that I was the one that actually provided that for you? This is the whole point that we're trying to make in terms of this loving union with God. So what does success look like? Well, for me, it's that I grow as a disciple of Jesus. I become more like Jesus, and you see that. What's amazing is that God planned that Sherry would be part of this preach. Because I don't know, like I said about Dale last week, who's noticed the change in this lady in the last few years? It's evident. I want to become more like Jesus. She's become more like Jesus, and I love it. It's been a privilege to prepare with her and, and her humility in the process. Knowing myself, like Sherry said, some of us are just unlikable. And maybe we need to sort some stuff out in our hearts so that we can love on people. Living what we preach. I don't want to be this guy who comes and preaches this stuff to you, but actually I don't have an ginosko with my father. Because actually when I preach here, you're going to go, it's going to go, clang, 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 and you're going to go, oh, what was that worth? Jeez, do we have church? Oh, no, not church again today. We're going to listen to Gary again. But, but hopefully there's a sound that comes from me that I've been with my father. And, and the sound is the sound of love and of grace and of mercy, but one that is encouraging for you guys to move into a deeper union with God. My marriage. You know, we can do all of this stuff and lose our marriages. But if we live and walk out and live out from our marriages, that Louise knows that when I'm around, I'm present. That she knows that I've got only got eyes for her. That she's my standard of beauty. That she's the one that I want to love until we are old and wrinkly and unable to do anything. Why was that funny? I suppose it's not far away, is it? That I steward my gifts well. That I see my limits as a gift and I say, Lord Jesus, I want to do that. And I feel out of control because I can't do that. And that person's not listening to me. Actually, Gary, I put that person in your life even as a limit. Because, Gary, if you can't get that, it's going to kill you. What is the definition of success for this home like called Lifehouse Church? Transformed lives. There's a measurement. Are people getting closer to Jesus? I don't want you guys relying on me, bringing you the word every week or most weeks, and then others who are alongside leading with me. Please. If you're just having the chewing gum moment, you know what a chewing gum moment is? You, you take the piece of chewing gum and you chew it, but after five minutes, it's like, what is that? It's like a piece of rubber. So you come on Sunday, you get a nice chewing gum moment, and the rest of the week's bleh. And then you come back again on... To live life like that, that is not loving union with God, you're not going to be transformed into the image of Jesus. So how do we measure this? If we could be a community that lives out a contemplative life in our busy city, how? Through taking Sabbaths, daily offices. We're going to go through all of this in the weeks to come. Dealing with conflict, dealing with discouragement, dealing with disappointments, dealing with the problems that we have in our marriages. Measuring our limits. Actually, I can't do that anymore. I wish I could, but I can't. Actually, you know what? I'd love to be doing that. I'd love to be spending time with you, Grant, but I can't because actually I need to spend time with my wife. (laughs) Believe it or not, there's a season that didn't happen. And I'm prioritizing my family. But unfortunately, what happens then is when people want relationship with me in order to connect with God, they start to fade away. And they go, Gary, you're not 
there for me. Well, I'm not because I'm there for, in this season, I'm working. I'm doing all those other things. You shouldn't be living your life through to me to get to Jesus. You should be, and that's what I'm trying to say is, here's Jesus. Here's the great one. Here's the hero. Here's the clever one. Please go and worship him, not try and do that through me or through anybody else in this community. So on one level, it's not about numbers, but it is. Growth means we grow. Why? Because what happens is when I grow, I leave my fingerprints on other people's lives, and they grow. So to land this, you know what the first thing that goes when we don't have love and union with God is our joy and our peace. Two things that the enemy cannot counterfeit. When your joy and your peace wanes, it's like the oil light on your car gauge, and it goes boing, 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 and if you don't sort it out, what will happen? Well, we know what will happen. You know what? Life becomes really, really hard. You know, I've probably never been as busy as I am right now. And I love what Pete Scazzaro says, because a couple of people have asked me this, even on text, so how's it going? And normally I'd respond, yo, I'm busy. You know what I'm saying now? Yo, I'm limited. Because like Sherry showed us, loving union is not about not being busy. Because you see what will happen is, with for a number five, you'll hear, oh, I must just go and sit in my room all day and do nothing. And read. We've got to watch what we're saying and what we're not saying. It's not about not being busy, but to understand that we have limits, and within those limits, what are we prioritizing? And are we prioritizing God and our families and allowing that to overflow into the people that we touch around us? Then you know what happens if we are not having love and union with God, is the people that we live with and serve become a burden. You know, there are people who, who leave our community for, for right reasons. God's calling them into another garden to, to grow them in further, whatever the case is. And I understand all of that. But there have been people in the past that have left our community and haven't left it for the right reasons. Part of it is because, and I always ask this question when someone wants to leave our community, how's your relationship with God? What is God saying to you? Because if God is saying that you need to move, then you better move. But if God is not saying anything, and you have just got a lack of joy, a lack of peace, and you're critical, and we have become a burden to you, and all you're looking at is the weaknesses within our community, then I've got a question mark as to why you're moving. Your kids become a burden. Your husband and wife, or hopefully you're one or the other, become a burden. And you know what the common response is? I don't have the time, Gary. If you saw my life, I just don't have the time. Lord Jesus, just hold on. Look at that example I gave with Moses. What happens? The people still got fed. You will still get fed. From my preparation, even though I don't have love and union with God, because God is so amazingly gracious. Amen. And even though that sounds like an amen, that's not a great amen for me, because you know what happens? Is my soul starts to get warped. And there comes a time when the sound that I start to express is in rebellion to God, because I'm not honoring the limits that God has put in my life. Dale and Laura shared on finding the desert the wilderness experience last week. And uh, throughout Scripture, we see Moses. 40 years God prepared him. 
We look at people like Elijah. He spent time in the desert during one of the, the most hectic time in Israel's life. We saw John the Baptist spent his, most of his life in the desert. Jesus, the epitome of that. And I know Laura shared um, this, this, this thing. Not working. It'll work now. No. Can somebody change for me, please? You guys are playing that. Um, is Dallas Willard's quote is the one about the facts, which I'm not going to go through. You can read it while you're there, and many of you have heard it on the podcast. It's just the fact that the desert we all think was a place of deprivation and harshness, but actually it was a preparation. And God's preparing all of us, and we're going to take you through that process. We're going to take you through that process of what does a Sabbath look like? What does a daily office look like? What does silence and solitude look like? Provide opportunities for that to happen, to live a contemplative life so that we can have love and union. Slow down to have love and union with God. Still be busy. I'm still going to be a busy person. Louise knows that. And at times she's on the back of the horse going, Gary, slow down. I know I'm always busy. But part of that process is to go in that busyness. Do I step out? Lord Jesus, won't you be my center? Won't you be the one that I live my life from? rather than that I prioritize. I can prioritize my family. And like Louise says, but Gary, you're not here. So I can be physically there, but I'm not there emotionally, and I don't see her, and I don't see the kids. We can organize a Sabbath, and I can tick the boxes. I can go on a date night with my wife. And Gary says, no. I mean, Louise says to me, no, Gary, as a number three, you've just achieved your objective. Well done. You've ticked the box. Like Sherry said, we can have devotional times. We can do all of the spiritual practices, but they are not the end. They are a means to the end, and the end is Jesus. In fact, he's the beginning and the end. So I want to encourage you. Let's make God center. Let's move increasingly more into this contemplative life that we live from the presence of Jesus, and we leave his fingerprints on this world. Not our own, not our flesh, not our own ideas. And ultimately, what is the definition of success? Doing God's will, His way, in His time. Let's stand. I know these are preachers are a little bit longer than we normally are, but we really are trying to set a platform for God to lead us into a place of contemplative life.